God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen. He doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with treats. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whispers. Good afternoon and welcome to The God Whispers. I am Craig D'Onofrio. And I am Bill Swirlow. He is there. Ah, he who irritates people. Yeah. It's my new, it's, it's my new native name. What do you think? Uh, you know, it kind of works for you. It does. It, it really does. I, I feel like I've, I've kind of come into my own. <laughs> As well you should. You know, having come into your own and all. <laughs> Bill is a um, dynamic presence. He when it, uh, he enjoys being the center of everything. I I do. I, I I really do. How are you, Craig? Pretty good. We're just dodging thunderstorms and tornadoes and all sorts of stuff. I I hear that. We, you you missed you missed uh, an earthquake since you've moved. Yeah, you know, you, you give up one, you pick up another one. What what can you do? <laughs> I I love I love earthquakes have a certain day of the lord quality to them because that you don't know when they're coming. There's no war- at least you guys get like didn't you have some tornado sirens going off today? Oh yeah, they, they were going off at five a.m. Uh, well, hey, yeah, kind of that's a little early for you, isn't it? I was goofing around on the internet at about eleven thirty, eleven forty-five last uh-huh. night, and I looked up and I looked at the clock. I said, <laughs> "Oops, oops, yeah." And I still had to iron some clothes for today because there's actually a dress code around here. Oh okay, well, <laughs> between having to get to work on time and a dress code, I mean, your your personality is almost totally sublimated at this point. So anyway, uh, I, the hail's coming down. Oh, nice. And, and, and I'm thinking, this kind of seems like tornado weather. Yeah. This is about 5 a.m. I get up to go turn on the TV in the living room, see what's going on. And uh, lo and behold, shortly, almost right after I hit the door there, the sirens go off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and this is Paula's first experience at this. Yes. A newbie. So she, she comes out just waking from the dead, <laughs> stunned, <laughs> Well, to... trying to figure out what the heck's going on around here. Her eyes are, are the size of saucers, and she's, she's like running for the—she's like diving for the basement almost. Yeah, try a 5.1 earthquake. That, that, that kind of— that <laughs> I'll wake you up too. Five point one is children's play. That's child's it's, play. There, it's 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 up there. It's it's it, it it's you know, and it went on long enough on Friday evening that that uh, my wife and I were conversing about it. When 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 it goes on long enough to talk about it and say, you know, is this going to get bigger? Do you think we should go somewhere? Um, has anything fallen yet? Uh, yeah, 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 you start to you know, you really start to wonder, is this the big one? Is there going to be a great chasm opening up and just like the whole house just gets swallowed up? So Well, then your wife posts pictures of the apocalypse at Trader Joe's. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. Two buck Chuck all over the place. I mean, was that can re- they rebuild? Was, can they do it? Was that a loss? Was that a tragedy or a blessing? I, can we know? I don't. I, I don't. I don't really know. All, all I all I know is I'm hanging out in the dessert aisle. If if uh, you know if if I'm if I'm in an earthquake and and I'm getting out I'm getting away from the glassware and yeah, hanging out that. with the you know if if the chocolates start raining down, I want to be in on that. All the uh, pirate's booty and all that. That's that's like falling in a styrofoam, all that kind of stuff. Like <laughs> yeah, that's pirate's <right>. booty. 
<laughs> but it was, you know, this this was a sustained series of of, and then and then of course Chile has to top us. Yeah, those Chileans. 8.0. I mean, really, really. Yeah, top, is that over the do? top or what? But the, the, they, Mom, they Mom Earth is not in a good mood these days. They, they tried too hard in Chile. It was too try hard. They they need to back off on that. Craig, do you, do you think it's the end? Do you think this could be it? I hope so. This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. God's elect know the time when judgment day is coming, but the unbelievers, they don't know the time. Which, of course, is completely sort of messed up because no one knows the time. <laughs> it's kind of like well, an earthquake. They knew. Well, they, 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 they didn't know, and that was the problem. The, or did they? They didn't know. Was there a secret rapture? <sighs> it's so fatiguing, Craig. Hey, you know, it just th- things seem active, though. I, you know, we, we, have, we have wars and rumors of wars, Crimea, Ukraine. We've got uh, earthquakes all over the place. We've got, I, think, I think this should always be interpreted eschatologically. Why not? You know, it, every day is possibly the last day. Live as though you were baptized. Oh, no, Larry Norman. You asked for it. We, we, we found Larry Norman again. Why was Craig so quiet? Oh. Digging through the iTunes trying to find Larry Norman. Oh, no. <laughs> the dulcet tones of Larry Norman. Oh, let's just take this in for a moment. Can't take any more. That's that's about my level of tolerance. For pretty that. much, pretty much. I keep right thinking there. of David Gates and bread whenever I hear Larry Norman. Well, it was the same same era. I heard he was pretty good, actually. That this was kind of like the low point of his career. But but uh, wow, this was the height of his career. I don't know what you're talking about. I I I I, I, I don't want to go down that road, but. <laughs> he was a talented guy with actually a good sense of humor. That's that's what I meant. That that he had some real talent, but this is just I don't know. I didn't say good theology. Do you have uh, Skype calls? Yes, we do. By the way, if you'd like to Did- call the God Whispers hotline, <laughs> area code 626-793. I don't remember what it is. It spells Manly Doctors 13, whatever it is. 626. Let's let's see. No. I'm sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Man, I should know it by now. Uh... Let me bring those up here. Where did they go? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we, we have Skype. My, my soundboard is, is operating on a weird delay. I need to get more RAM for this new computer. Do we, do we have Skype? Here we go. Hope all is well with both of you in this Latin season. 
So the other night I was having a discussion with a few of my brothers all having a few drinks. <laughs> That's what usually happens. Bad sign. A little deep. We're noting that as we go to sleep or try to go to sleep, we fight with our demons that give us a hard time trying to go to sleep. And I got to thinking about this turn of phrase, fighting with our demons, and was wondering how much truth there actually is in this statement. Could this really be the devil tormenting us with our past deeds, thoughts, or desires, or merely our conscious conscious acting upon us as a work of the Spirit? And why does this always seem to happen at night? Are we more susceptible to such torments at night or falling into unconscious? And what are the effects of taking sleep aids to get around this? I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Thanks for the great work that you guys do, and God's blessings to both of you. Josh. Well read, Josh. Well read. <laughs> Did he say he was drinking? I, I don't think so. I <laughs> oh, missed that part. I thought he said he and his buddies were drinking. I was going to say, you know, piece of advice number maybe, one, maybe stop drinking, all right? that's not, <laughs> that, that doesn't lend to a good night's sleep. Um, the, 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 the torment of the conscience at night. Is that what, is that what I gathered from that? Yes. A, yes. And is this, is this, um, is this one's demons? Is this wrestling with the devil? Luther would certainly say yes. Um, John Kleinig, uh, I, I don't know if you've, have you ever looked at, at the, the Kleinig DVD that Doxology puts out? No, but I would love to. It's a, it's really, really good. Uh, it's a series of lectures that he gave at Fort Wayne Seminary, I believe, and uh, on on um, spiritual warfare. And he talks about this very topic, the, this business of of uh, this restlessness late at night of having past sins uh, and and pangs of conscience, and uh, and and what this is all about. And it's certainly you know part and parcel of the devil's work to agitate the conscience and to cause one to doubt the forgiveness of one's sins, first of all, and, and then also to bring up the sins of others so that it inflames anger and uh, divisiveness against uh, you know, our neighbor, our fellow Christian and that. So uh, certainly the devil's playground there. Um, and then, you know, you do like, are, are, you, are you having visitors over there, Craig? Or uh, I'm, I'm hearing like squeaking doors. And, I will uh, neither... Confirm nor deny. Actually, I'm just moving a keyboard around so I can. There's noise going on. Feel, there. Here, I'll turn off my mic. <laughs> there. Just shut now down. I'm back. Oh, that was nice. I kind of like that. Um, Actually, I do that a lot to sneeze, cough, other bodily things yeah, and whatnot. You know, one of the things about about um, the the bad conscience is, of course, the conscience feeds on the law. And and the the conscience is a law machine. It's a law processing machine. Romans two. It either accuses or makes excuses. That's what it does. And uh, and, and uh, the the gospel. The goal of the gospel is a quiet conscience, a conscience that has nothing to chew on. So so the gospel takes away the law. So that's where Luther would come and say, well, you use Christ against the devil, against the law, against your conscience. So whatever testifies against you, use Christ against that and say, I'm baptized. I'm, I'm in Christ. You are correct, sir. And, and I would... I would add to this that stop Luther drinking had, before you go to bed too. It's well, real, that, that real could. bad, real bad. Luther had what I call the screaming brain, even as I do, hmm. and th- this is one reason why I hate being alone is because when I'm left alone with my head, it's it's uh, as as I like to say, it's vacationing in Hiroshima in 1946. <laughs> yeah, that's extrovert hell right there. Yeah, well, it, it's not just that, but. All of the stupid stuff that I've done in my life comes back to revisit me 
and and they they come back. That opening scene from The Patriot, where where Mel Gibson's saying, "I know that my sins from the past would come back and revisit me." I get that every time that I'm pretty much alone and quiet. That's <laughs> one nice. of the reasons why I pump punk rock and stuff like that is to drown out my screaming brain, and, and that's just the fact that I'm psychotic. But aside from that, it's why you know it's why Luther did not trust solitude. And, and, and the yeah. solitary meditation, when people were troubled by their sins, when people were depressed, you know, his advice, find the company of some robust Christians. Indeed. You know. And, and that, that really is the point right there. And you got to it that the absolved mind doesn't have to keep digging this up. And the only way that I know to combat this is to say, A, I think about stupid stuff that I did when I was 15, and I see 15-year-olds do it, and I chuckle and say, yeah, 15-year-olds. So why am I condemning myself? But B, Christ has cast those sins as far away from me as the East is from the West. He remembers them no longer, and so I can just put it away. I don't need to remember this. I am baptized. He doesn't remember my sins. They're gone. Why do I have to keep flogging myself with this? And so I think that it's a matter of the unholy trinity. It's not just, not just the devil, but it's also me. You know, drudging up my own sinfulness, and as Doctor Nagel would say, fondling it. Oh, well, <laughs> right? Can you say that? Well, I just did. Didn't wow. I? You know, the, there's there's this other aspect too. I was I've been reading Luther's Galatians fifteen thirty five commentary, and and I, I, I'm telling you, if you read no other Luther, read his fifteen thirty five Galatians. This is an amazing thing. But he talks about how God will permit this very thing. He permits the devil to plague his Christians, and he permits them. And and so, but what he does is then he uses it to overturn the devil because the more we're troubled by our sins and the more we see our own sinfulness the the more we're driven to Christ and so he he completely overturns the devil's work by by it's it's kind of like a good martial arts move where you take all the momentum of your enemy's punch and you use it against him hmm. and and so Luther says that the truly godly and the mature in Christ are constantly plagued by their sins you know, and and they are driven ever more deeply to trust in Christ as Savior. So, mm-hmm. so you know, God gets the last word in Christ, and the last word is is forgiven. So, so it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it certainly is a a wrestling with the evil one, who uh, who's you know he he's, he's uncreative. The the devil cannot create anything. All he can do <laughs> is take good things and use it against God and against us. So he takes the law. And he tries to use the law to drive a wedge between us and Christ. Mm-hmm. And, 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 but God's the, the big trickster, and he's, he's like, go ahead, accuse my saints. They'll go running to Christ, the very thing you don't want. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, to whom shall we go? Exactly. I, you know, Luther, and, and this is by no means a verbatim, but Luther talks about when the devil accuses you, and he, he says all of these things to you, uh, you simply return your baptism and say, what of it? I'm baptizing Christ. So what? You know, what what about your accusations? Go pound sand, you know? <laughs> and and don't don't drink before going to bed. He asked well, about he, he asked about right. sleep aids and and things like that. Uh and you know, I mean there's that 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 real fuzzy line between the sort of the the medical and and the spiritual or the physical spiritual realms and kind of things like that. Uh you know, and I'm not going to go off into any of of that kind of thing saying that that sleeping pills are bad 
or that's an artificial way to quiet the conscience. I will say this, though, that, that uh, a lot of times uh, drug and alcohol and things are ways of numbing the conscience. The, these are ways of, you know, it's like a false gospel. What, what's the purpose of the gospel to quiet the conscience? How does the gospel quiet the conscience? By taking away the law. Christ mm. has fulfilled the law. There's nothing, there's nothing there to condemn. You know, who is he to condemn us? Christ Jesus has died for us, you know, and intercedes for us. So, so it takes away the law. If you don't have Christ, well, then the, the, you have to do something to shut this up, this inner voice, this judge, this inner critic that's constantly accusing or making excuses. It's built into our, it's built into our humanity. It's the, the internal law monitor that we have. And, and so you know, the, this is the negative side of, 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 say, alcohol, which is God's gift of joy and celebration and fellowship. But if it's used to numb a conscience, uh, this is going to lead to great, uh, great uh, shame and vice and destruction, uh, precisely because it's not the gospel. Now, I, I will say that there are times where I'm not being accused of anything. It's just my brain won't shut up. Uh, you know, I'm trying to sleep here, and my brain's saying, "Did you turn off the stove? Did you do this? Did what about tomorrow? Are you ready for this? Do you have? You, are you pants pressed? Are you? You know, it's, it, and this will go on for hours. Yeah, you need drugs for that. They're, yeah, they're just... <laughs> and, and so it's it's not the accusation. That's, it's just a... my brain won't shut up. I'm yeah, trying to sleep here, and it keeps talking. That's a problem right there. Um, <laughs> the I can't stay awake. I have the opposite problem. I mean, I nod off at a moment's notice. Uh, you know, Kleinig also has this interesting thing when you are awakened from sleep and very often it's in the early hours of the morning he says he talks about the christian doing sentry duty well this morning it was by sirens well that <laughs> but 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 he says for him that's an occasion to pray so you're you're awakened by something the thought of somebody or something and and when that occurs he his advice is to pray you've been you've been awakened on duty you're you're hmm. you're, you're you're a soldier doing sentry duty and and you know you're 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 not fighting this offensive battle you're 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 maintaining conquered territory you're keeping watch over conquered territory and and so but you've been awakened and so so you you your action is prayer which I think is really cool. I, 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 think, I, I do believe in this notion that sometimes we are awakened for this purpose that, that uh, we, we should pray for somebody. And, and, mm. and, and so if you have that inkling, I mean, you can't go wrong. Yeah, when when is it wrong to pray for somebody? So you know, this like it can't go wrong, and I think it's a great a great way of looking at it too. But th- there's you know, there's a whole realm going on that's that's kind of outside of our physical experience that uh, mm-hmm. we have to be alert to because it's it's part of it's you know we're spiritual beings as well. Shall we take another one? Oh, why not? It's been so long since we've done Skype. We have four. We, we may not even let's get take, Let's take one more. No, we'll we take one more. more. Yeah, and then we, we have to take a break in about five and a half minutes. Here we go. Hi, Bill and Craig. This is Kevin from Florida. Hey, Kevin. Since you're daring your listeners to call the hotline, I guess I'm taking the dare. I was wondering if you guys could um, could talk about small parish ministry, especially in suburban areas or populated areas, not just in a, a rural setting where uh, in the suburban areas, so many people wonder, why aren't you big? It seems like we have uh, to deal with the, the, the pastor's desires, both both good and bad, for what ought to be happening, and, and the desires of the lady, good and bad. And uh, we really have to answer the question, what does a successful church 
look like? What does it do? Does does size matter? Anyway, that's my question. Uh, thanks a lot, Kevin from Florida. Bye. Bill, does size matter? I wish he hadn't voiced it in that way. <laughs> I, I, you know, you and I both had, uh, you had, and I have, what probably would be classified as suburban ministries that are, relatively speaking, small. Mm-hmm. And um, I have opinions about this. Of course, the, the Bible has no indication of how small or large a congregation ought to be. Uh, in in the New Testament days, they were about as big as could fit in somebody's living room. So, you know, maybe, what, 50, 75 people or so? That's pretty uh, generous, I'd you, say. You couldn't really have, like, anything big until you could build. And so unless you could own property and, and have a large congregating space, you, you really didn't have big. I, I like, uh, I, this is attributed to an, an Orthodox priest um, who was once asked how many people uh, how many people do you have uh, you know worshiping in your church and and his re- reply was as many as the Lord provides <laughs> which you know that's kind of a nice way of putting it it's it's the Lord and the Spirit who calls gathers enlightens sanctifies and keeps the church and so our being gathered is 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 really God's work as well. Um, you know, on our side of it, I don't know, tell me what you think of this, Craig, is that I think if you follow the model, the Lutheran model of the pastor as a, a physician of the soul, a Zalesorger, it's going to limit how big a congregation effectively can be. Just like a, a good medical practice, at some point a doctor is going to have to say, I'm not taking new patients. Mm-hmm. Now, I, 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 don't, I cannot imagine a pastor saying, I'm not taking new patients, <laughs> you know, but I I really wonder to myself uh, sometimes whether, um, you know, after about what three hundred and fifty four hundred or so members, maybe break it down into households, uh, pastoral effectiveness starts to starts to diminish rapidly. And of course, the answer then is multi- multiple pastors, right? Um, or spinning off into a second congregation. Yeah, I mean, historically, option. I mean that's what Walther did when, when yeah. you know, he he basically subdivided uh, original Trinity then into the Gesamtgemeinde, the 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 kind of assembled the you know, the four congregations of St. Louis. Um, a lot of the modern mega churches, the large churches, really are small congregations gathered under one roof. They're they're they. they a lot of people will associate with a certain pastor or a certain service time or maybe a style of service or something like that. So you actually might have three or four congregations meeting effectively jointly under one name and sharing the same building, but never really interacting. So I'm not sure those aren't really small congregations either. They just happen to meet in the same place. You run into that with uh, multiple services, as you're saying. You know, yeah, I did on my vicarage. We had we had two. You know, it was a large enough congregation that they had to have two services. And mm-hmm. the early and the late service people were like they're, they're like two different congregations. Yeah. Now it yeah. was just one pastor, 
but they really were different in character. They had the same liturgy and everything else, so there, there wasn't a division in that way. But but they they really didn't know each other as as well as like my congregation that we have one service we meet all together, and you kind of know who's there and who's not there. Uh, to get back to that question, I, I'm torn by that too. The expectation these days, I think, thanks to the big mega churches, is that if you know God is truly working among you, you should be huge. Hmm. Um, and, and I'm not sure that, that that's necessarily the best base of operations, so to speak. I, I, I rather like the smaller congregation where you have an opportunity to, uh, know the members and to, um, interact with them as, as like, you know, the old school doctors used to know their patients, not, not the, not the new school ones that just kind of are in and out in five minutes or have a physician's assistant look at you and, uh, you know, plug in some things on your computer report. But some guy who actually knew, you know, knew your context, knew about you and and uh, and your family and things like that. I, I think there's a real advantage to that. I hope we kind of go back to that as a model. I think that you've seen it, even as I have, that uh, you do everything right and no one shows up. And then there are times in churches where the pastor is just doing what he's always done. And all of a sudden, it's like God decides, I'm going to make this church grow. And boom, it, it just grows. And you ask the pastor, what did you do? Uh, nothing different than what I've always done. I just I just kept doing that. And, uh, you know, for 10 years, we, we didn't really have many people. And then all of a sudden, we just exploded. And sometimes it's just the right people show up. Sometimes uh, it's, it's just that uh, the Lord decides uh, this church is going to grow now. And and that's just all there is. You know, I mean, Paul Paul said something like that. You know, I, I I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth, and that that's you know. I, oh, B and L. I meant to hit something else to go out. With I like B&L, it. But, oh, uh, we'll go, go out, out with, with B&L. this one. All right, we're gonna take a break, and we'll be back after some. I'm looking at them. They're important messages, after all. All right, we'll be right back. <laughs> Summon fish to the dish, although I like the shallow Swiss, I like the sushi, cause it's never touch a frying pan. Hot like wasabi when I bust rhymes, speak like Leanne rhymes, because I'm all about value. generous song don't you think this song never fails to make me smile it's a smiley song i love this song (laughs) if i had a million dollars welcome back to the god whispers i'm craig d'onofrio i'm he who irritates people bill swirla yes you are he who irritates people and (laughs) you and that gong i love that gong i know you do (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> do you want to uh, take another call, or do you want to uh, get into our stack of stuff? I think I think we're let's 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 look at the stack of stuff here. I, you know, it is time for an atheist question for Craig. 
By, by the way, do we have any uh, God Whisperer's mailbag stuff? We do, but I'm, I'm going to defer it. I haven't looked. Okay, I'm, we'll I'm defer gonna, it until next exciting I, I, White I wanna, Hot episode. I, I want to talk about um, religious conversion here for a moment. And, and uh, these are goofy atheist questions for Craig. All right. So, Craig, um, if your desire is to convert atheists so that they become more like you... Uh, do you think that you're currently better than them? God help you if you become more like me. There's the answer. Okay. Um, if re- Am I better than them? No, but I'm no worse than them either. <laughs> How's that? If, if religious people don't respect their children's right to pick their own religion at a time when they're able to make that decision... How can society expect religious people to respect anyone's right to freedom of religion? How old are they when they're able to pick their own religion? I don't know. Well, I don't know how to answer that. If, if I mean, I can't keep my 18-year-old from, uh, from being an atheist or anything. I, 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 you know, how, do, how do I force someone to be whatever I Do children I have a right to pick their own religion? I mean, define children. Is this a right? You know that that's that's something that I'm. This no. is dumb. I mean, do no, you, you don't have children. Don't have the same kind of rights that adults have. I saw a great article. It was it was about like don't force your kids to go to church. Of course, it was it was written from the opposite perspective. But but right, it, and it was saying yeah, like don't force your kids to eat good food. They should they should choose for themselves what they want to eat, which would be cotton candy and soda. You know, uh, don't uh, don't force your kids to look both ways before they cross the street. Uh, don't force your kids to learn algebra. Well, uh, even most every, even better, don't force your kids to participate in your family. <laughs> most most everything that a child learns uh, is not something that they would naturally seek out. No, um, and and yeah, the fallacies here are are numerous. Okay, that that where it is true that you begin sort of your religious life in the religion of whatever family you're born into, right? So a little Muslim kid is born into a Muslim tradition and Muslim practices and Muslim beliefs. A little Hindu kid is born into Hinduism. A little Christian kid is born into a Christian environment at home. This is true. Um does that upbringing guarantee that they'll continue? <laughs> Every Christian parent will tell you it doesn't. In no. fact, there comes that point. There comes that point in every um, child become adult's life, and we as pastors know this, where the kid is no longer a kid and has to make these beliefs their own. It's usually about the time they go off to college, sometimes a little sooner than that. Uh, for those of us you know, who are accustomed to children growing up in the church, being baptized, um, it's, it's their atheist phase. A lot of them go through that. And, yeah. and you know, it's, it's just, it's because um, the, the, there's no guarantee that any of this is going to make them, you know, pop out in the religion of their family. But they are part of a family. And and to ask this kind of question is to say, like you said, I mean, they're just they're just autonomous individuals. They have no family. They have no context. They have nothing. 
are, are these people that just uh, squeeze out a kid, hand them a box of diapers, and say you're on your own, kid? <laughs> well, I here, mean, it seems to be kind of the way that they're talking. Here, here. Here's here's the here's the naughty little secret. Okay, and and that do they is, raise their children to be good atheists? Bingo. That there you go. that that <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to start taking the atheist question seriously when we when we when we meet an atheist who basically admits it's kind of a religion too. It's a belief system. Uh, it doesn't have practices formally because you can't like practice a belief in nothing. But 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 to say that is a belief system, and they're certainly going to inculcate that with their children. Like Richard Dawkins' famous letter to his ten-year-old daughter: "Don't take, don't believe anything without hard scientific evidence." Hmm. So he's indoctrinating his kid in in a worldview, uh, in a belief system. That's his. I, I can respect you as an atheist if you honestly take your kid to the Jewish synagogue, to the local churches, to the Roman Catholic Church, e- even to the Mormons and, and the Jehovah's Witnesses, just so they can see what all is out there and make a decision. No, I, I'll res- instead of instead of actually teaching them that you know before you go now everything you see today is ridiculous and if you buy into this stuff i think you're a moron <laughs> now you want to see true religious outrage watch an atheist parent when they find when they get the news that their kid has become a christian <laughs> all right i i have i i have personal i have personal firsthand knowledge of what this looks like and and you know you th- Your parents this is, were atheists no the, oh. but 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 i have i have plenty of german atheists on the <laughs> German side of the family. I'm telling oh, there you, you go. and sure enough, one of the offspring turns up Christian. Gets, you know, seeks out baptism. How uh, could you? Oh, it's it's just you know, there's nothing more outraged. You couldn't find like a Wisconsin Synod Lutheran more outraged <laughs> over, you know, say somebody going off going off to the LCMS or or whatever than than for an atheist to have a kid to have the audacity in spite of all of their indoctrination, all these years of skepticism, turn around, get baptized, and confess Christ. It's just it's 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 crazy. So, um, you know, I think that that whole that whole conversation needs to level out at some point. That atheism is is a is a worldview that basically rules out a priori the existence of God. Basically, on the on the presupposition that if if you can't if there is no uh, scientific evidence for something, then that something doesn't exist. Yeah, that, that's that's your basic skeptical presupposition. You and yep. so, yeah, they're going to teach their kid that. Of course they are. We all teach our kids something. And so yeah, there, there's no right to pick your religion. And, and sooner or later, every kid, once once they're sprung from the nest, is going to act or not act on what they were raised. And that's well, the, <laughs> and God knows this. Yeah, there's there's also here the the issue at hand of, uh, you know, if you believe that children have freedom of religion. Are you giving your own children the freedom to convert to something that's else? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Do they have a right to freedom of religion so, in their own house? So here's my response, my new reformulated response. Do they? Hmm? <laughs> there you have it. Hey, I think we should segue into the 10 cliches Christians should never use with atheists. Yes, by you, all means. You want to do that? 
wait, wait. Let me get some. Uh, some. Uh, here we go. Found this. Some, found this on Pathios. Good, good music. This will work. <laughs> From our composer in residence, Jason Caspar. <laughs> All right, ten. All right. Th- this is. This is. This. Th- these are ten. 10 cliches Christians should never use. Uh, this is written, of course, from the unbeliever's perspective, but they're really tired of hearing these. Or maybe this is from a Christian. No, I doubt this is from a Christian. No, he, he says in the article that he is not a Christian. Okay, good. One. He? Is it he? Uh, Christian play. Yeah, and, 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 and we've all said one of these at one time or another. You know, this is funny because the author's name is Christian. Oh, all right. Just well, for what it's worth. So there. One, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> I have a note on this. Yeah. Sometimes the reason is your poor decisions. <laughs> yeah, right. Usually you're to blame. Yeah. Uh, to everything there is a season. That's true. Uh, that's Ecclesiastes. Um, although in the greater context, it's it's rather dull. But everything happens for a reason. That's that's this kind of this cause. You know, you know, this was like the disciples coming to Jesus last Sunday's gospel. They see a man born blind, and of course, there has to be a reason for this. So, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I blame Eve. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, two. If you died today, do you know where you'd spend the rest of eternity? Yes, <laughs> that's the uh, that's the uh, the the James Kennedy question. Kind I've been of. baptized, kind of. Yeah, I love how he says, "No, I don't, and neither do you." Really? Well, I, I have trouble with that on two levels. Where heaven's not a place, and eternity doesn't have a rest oh, of. You know, it can't be. It can't be like subdivided. You can't, you can't, this, eternity is not sort of a continuation of time. It's beyond time. You're going to parse this. I am. I am. I think this is really a dumb question to so ask. So you're going to resort to English as a, grammar as a response. I'm going to, I'm going to resort to in logical, logic, intelligence as, as a response. Uh, three, one of my very, I, I hate this phrase, he or she <laughs> is in a better place. You hear this at every funeral. Grandma's in a better place. Where did she move to Fort Lauderdale or what? You know, I mean, I, I don't know what that means. Uh, if she's in, if she's in Christ, then she's always been in Christ since her baptism. So she hasn't really moved. And uh, I, I don't know what that means. Well, I, I like what he writes here. This may or may not be true. Again, we have no real way of knowing. We may believe it, but to speak su- to speak with such authority about something we don't actually know is arrogant. Plus, focusing on the passing of a loved one, uh, I'm sorry, focusing on the passing of a loved one minimizes the grief of the people left behind. This is true. true. That's very, very true. There, you know, in, in totally a lot of these, in a lot of these things, there's a lot of truth. But also there's a lot of falsity in this because he or she is in a better place. If this person is baptized, I can say that person was baptized into Christ and is in Christ Jesus and has gone on to the feast ahead of us. (laughs) <laughs> let, let, let me go back to two again. I, I didn't. I didn't read what what he wrote. This is good. If you died today, do you know where you'd spend the rest of eternity? See, I just don't like the question. He writes, "No, I don't. Neither do you." Remember, from his perspective, knowing 
has concrete evidence. You don't know anything apart from concrete evidence. It's kind of an epistemological issue here. He's an Ayn Randian objectivist. It's true. Here, so, so stop yeah. asking such a presumptuous question as this that implies you have some insider knowledge that the rest of us don't. Well, there is kind of that insider knowledge that comes, you know, from Jesus and the resurrection. But, you know, I'll take that at face value. And seriously, if your faith is entirely founded upon the notion of eternal fire insurance, you're not sharing testimony, you're peddling propaganda. Uh, something to that, something to that, that that I think too often what we think of as as witness or what we think of as the gospel is hell avoidance rather than heaven right. participation. And, and he makes a great point with that. You know that, that 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 sort of you know being a Christian is not so much about avoiding hell, which wasn't even intended for humans, um, but it is about participation in the life of God now and forever. But the, uh, oh yeah, f- uh, four. I like this one, Craig. Can I share a little bit about my faith with you? <laughs> Too often, he says, Christians presume we have something everyone else needs without even knowing them first. Ask someone about their story, but maybe not the second you meet them. Christian evangelism often is the equivalent of a randy young teenager trying to get in good with his new girlfriend. (laughs) When your personal agenda is more important than the humanity of the person you're talking to, most people can sense the opportunism from a mile away. (laughs) And it's a way, not a way, but I, 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 I... I nitpick there, but anyway. And and I think what this goes to is the idea that we have to go out and Bible some people. And so I agree. That is not the way to go out and do evangelism. Uh, The best way to do evangelism is, is through actually getting to know people and sharing a real faith with them. As you are, are one who, who knows the truth of Christ. You know, what, what does Peter say? Is always be prepared to give an account for the hope that's in you. And, yeah. and so, um, but that, that presumes that people know you. There's a conversation going on. They kind of want to know what makes you, what, what makes you tick. Uh, you know, I mean, a, a, a frequent topic of conversation for me is, you know, they know I'm trained in science. They, they know that I've, I've worked in science and, and this and that. And then how can you as a scientist, uh, you know, believe in God and, and, and worship and things like that? And, the, and when that comes as an honest question, that's a, that's a very fruitful discussion. Because I, I can talk about that and, and how those two are not mutually exclusive. I also don't like the word share. Mm. Can I share a little bit about my faith? You know, you share when you share something, you keep a little bit and you give the other person a little bit. But you know, like like I I, I really don't like that term sharing Jesus. Like I got Jesus, and so I'm going to give you a little bit of Jesus, right? Or or we're bringing Christ to the nations. You mean like Christ wasn't already there? Like he was absent before we arrived. These are really like bad ways of speaking, I think. So people, <laughs> number five, you should come. <laughs> you should come to church with me on Sunday. What, why? Why is that bad? Would that more parishioners said that? But listen how listen how how he hears that. It's not that we should never invite people to church, but too much of the time, it's the first thing that we do when we encounter someone new. So it's it's really? a lead. It's a lead thing. My wife Amy and I started a new church eight years ago, founded on the principle. Oh, okay. Of of earning the right to invite. 
Invest in people first. Listen to their stories. Learn their passion. So this guy's not an atheist. This guy's a, he's a Christian. I thought I read somewhere in this that he he says I'm not a Christian. He's, he's a Christian. So he uh. and so 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 and so this is a Christian giving advice. Even better. I mean, so he's an insider. He's one of us. It's cool. So don't get don't get all don't get all wound up about him. Where where did I get this? Christians. Uh, Look, what's he talking? What's he talking about in these first five things? It's what guys like like you know uh, Gene Edward Veith talk about all the time: vocation, right? Witness within vocation. The people who know you, the people who observe your life, the people who are the recipients of your good works. Um, you you have context. Uh, I remember a pastor that I had before I went to the seminary. Uh, he he says something like this: He says, "I'm waiting at a bus stop, and some person walks up to me and says, Bill." How's your pancreas? <laughs> All right. Now, you know, if you're an over if you overhear this conversation, this is weird, right? Uh, unless you knew he was my doctor. Right. There's context to that question. If he's a stranger and asks me how my pancreas is, uh, I'm getting creeped out here. Well, then you just assume that he's a crunchy mom or something like that. <laughs> and they've he just read an article about how yak splatter will fix your pancreas. Also, I'm very excited about it. Also, and I think this is this is this is something that that um, you know we talk about actively in the Lutheran Church. You should come to church with me on Sunday. So let's let's talk about the church being a a, a Lutheran church, a Lutheran church that is in within the Lutheran tradition that is you know using the liturgy and all of its complexities. Uh, do you think that person is going to get it necessarily? Is is that really the first thing one does? Oh, you got to come to church. Well, if you, if you have a relationship with this person and you understand their background, say they grew up Roman Catholic, absolutely, they might get it. Absolutely, no. The key word there is if you have some kind of connection with this person and you're going to kind of sit with them and talk to them about it help them through it all of this um as a pastor one thing i really don't like fortunately i don't hear it very much is you know you really have to come hear our pastor (laughs) you know i've had people do that and then and then i've been on vacation that sunday (laughs) i brought people to church and you weren't there (laughs) So I thought you, I thought they were supposed to meet Christ, not me. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but yeah, or or you know, and that substitute pastor was twice as good of a preacher as you. Or are, you'd so. really like our church. We have the greatest potlucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, your church that might be true if they came on Easter. Yeah, we yeah we we do we do, we, we have some really really good good uh, good cooks. I, hey, I think we're, we're running a little short on time here. I, I want to get already get. To num- well, we've got uh, five eight. minutes left. Oh, I'm, I'm showing eight minutes, 30 seconds. You must be doing a different timer. Something like that. <laughs> I'm watching now. So, no. I know how no, you are. Eight, I know you and time. Eight minutes will put us into uh, issues, et cetera. Time. All right. All right. So what do you want to talk Although, about? Although, you know, that wouldn't so, be. So these are not. Uh, we have to. We, I blew that. <laughs> Christian, Christian, whatever his name is, is, is uh, he seems to be Christian here. He's, he's one of the tribe. Uh, I could have swore that maybe it was a different article that he's, I was reading. He's one of the tribe, but but he warns us from the inside. Number six. Number six. Number six. Number six. Have you asked Jesus into your heart? 
My note, why would you do that to him? <laughs> yeah, he, he writes, why not my liver, my kidneys? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> that, is, that is one of the most unbiblical ways of speaking I know. First of all, Jesus doesn't need permission. He kind of invades. Uh, secondly, the heart, as you say, hammer of God, what would he yep. want with that miserable thing? What did he do to you? Why would you invite him there? You know, the other thing is we mistake the heart as an emotional thing. In, in the Bible, it's the, the seat of the will. You purpose to Actually, do things in your the heart. Biblical, the biblical model of this would be, have you invited Jesus into your bowels? Yeah, your guts. Be, liver, yeah. liver and kidneys would be close, but, but your guts. That, that, so if you, if you want to get emotional about it, it's, it's in your guts. If you want to will something, it's in your heart. And uh, that heart of yours ain't going to do much willing. Huh? <laughs> well, that goes back to vacationing in uh, 1946 Hiroshima. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just... You the, just the, why, why would you do that to him? That, that's right. <laughs> that's dragging him along with... <laughs> All right, I'm done with that. What do you... You, you want to you get... Number your, seven, number seven, oh, number seven. Do, do you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Uh, he, uh, this guy admits this is not in the Bible anywhere, and that's true. <laughs> it goes against the whole Christ-like notion of the suffering servant. People tried to elevate Jesus to the status of Lord, but he rejected it. Now, that's not where I would go. <laughs> what I would say is he already is your Lord and Savior, whether you buy this notion or not. I mean, he's the Lord of Lords. He's the Savior of the world. So he is your Lord and Savior, whether you believe that or not. So you're accepting it doesn't make him that. Okay, it's just recognizing get... that he is. I've got to get, I, I have some dynamite stuff for number eight here. This could be the end of days. He, he says, yes. This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. He says, this is one of my favorites. We Christians love to look for, he is a Christian, I guess, yeah. look for signs of the end of the world. We practically have an apl- apocalyptic fetish, apocalyptic it's like we can't wait until everything comes to a smoldering halt so that we can stand tall with that I told you so look neener, at our faces neener, neener. while non-believers beg for mercy. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like an awesome religion you've got there. Sign me up. Not not smug. I want the world to end because I'm sick of my own stench. I, I reek. I, I want to stop being a sinner. I want, I want to get on with this. Well, he's he's clearly got the sort of the rapture uh, yeah. version of this in mind. But but, but uh, even coming from that background, that rapture version is sheer terror for people. Yeah, the, and you're you're a sociopath if you're looking at this with smugness. Yeah, well, we've got one of those Calvary Chapel things uh, up the road in, uh, over in Diamond Bar where you know they've made a cottage industry of terrorizing people. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, so that the only the only book of the Bible you know is the book of the Revelations, <laughs> and and uh, it's just this constant, constant. Uh, you know, could be any day. Could be. Are you ready? Will you be? Will you be left behind? Cue Larry Norman. You know, it's the whole thing. And and uh, but yeah, it becomes a kind of a a big neener 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 religion. We can't wait till we say I told you so. Right. Uh, it's a total misery. Nine, Jesus died for your sins. <laughs> it's, the, it's the all-time Christian favorite. Um, I, I love this next line. 
But if you buy into that concept of substitutionary atonement, the idea that God set up Jesus as a sacrifice to make good for all the bad stuff we've done, this is an abysmal way to introduce your faith to someone. Well, he's, he's, got, well, he's got a point. I mean, uh, in, in our confessions, uh, that, that sentence, Jesus died for your sins, is a frightful word of law. Uh, because what 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 a person's going to hear is sins, and and he's going to start debating whether he's a sinner or not. Never mind the Jesus died for part. Uh, the first thing is, hey, <laughs> you calling me a sinner? Um, and and so I, it, there's a context problem with just kind of coming out of the chute to say saying that. Um, we we call it law and gospel. So just saying, uh, yep. he seems to he seems to sort of downplay and poo poo the notion that that there's a such thing as a substitutionary atonement that Jesus we, is the sacrifice for the sins of the world. But that's another conversation. We have thirty seconds left, Bill. Number one 10, last one. Will all will our all visitors, visitors please, please stand? stand? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, we won't. (laughs) Why should we? Let's shame the visitors. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to the world-famous God Whispers. We'll catch you next time. Inquire no more, you feral beast. William, move your head. Look at the size of that boy's head. Shh. I'm not kidding, it's like an orange on a toothpick. You're gonna give the boy a complex. Well, that's a huge noggin. That's a virtual planetoid. Has its own weather system.